Father, help us. Because what we are going to do as we open your word is going to ask that the Almighty One come and teach mortals. And so we're asking that you would uh, help us see ourselves in this text and help us see, more importantly, you. Your faithfulness, that your timing is incredible and perfect. That you have never made a promise that you either have not kept or will not keep. You, you will keep them all. You are fully and wholly reliable. I pray for that one who's already overwhelmed by all that is left to be done or stands in front of them this Advent season. It can be busy, stressful, weird relationally, and we just we need you to come and help us in the midst of all this. So would you do that? Would you teach us this morning? We pray these things then in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are endeavoring to uh, look into Luke these next four weeks to get prepared, get ready for, for Christmas. And there's a getting ready for Christmas that applies to, to all of us. Everybody's got to get ready at some level for this Advent season. Uh, we think often about the preparations for Christmas being all about the physical. And uh, I have one person on my you know, Christmas list, and Nikki has 91 people on her Christmas list. You know, uh, Nikki's my wife. And the idea is it's, it's easier for guys than it is for girls, right? Uh, it's easier for girls than it is for guys. Uh, and that they are, they are con- continually uh, uh, working are, are some, at the Christmas season to make things happen. And so w- getting ready is about lists. It's about shopping. It's about preparing. It's about wrapping. It's about food. It's about travel plans. It's about connecting. Connecting. And, and so all of those external things are real, and we, we do have to tend to them. But just so you're on the same wavelength, we're not going to be talking about any of those things on Sunday mornings as we look to the Word of God. We are going to be looking into the depths of our heart and asking, at the depth of who I am as a person, am I ready for the Advent season. A couple of examples of what that might look like. Jesus, we just sang a song. Jesus is the consolation of Israel. The concept is that for the one who is troubled, God brings comfort. And so when you're alone and the lights go out and it's time for you to think through and to process where you are as a person this Advent season, do you receive comfort from the consolation of Israel? Because he lives within you. We may ask uh, similarly, inside my heart, we talk about Jesus who has come to bring peace. Peace among men with whom God is, is, is pleased. That is a favored position. 
All right? Prince of Peace, do you, in your heart, in the midst of life, have peace? You're at peace with God. You're at peace with self. You're at peace with others. Are you in uh, the situation where uh, because God has forgiven your sin and called you to do likewise, that you have released all the grudges? That you are not angry with people and you are not holding bitterness in your heart and you have forgiven the people around you with a clear heart before the Lord? As God's perfect faithfulness in the past puts you in the position where you look ahead at the days to come and you say, okay, I do not know what the days to come are going to bring, but this I know. The God who has always been faithful will be faithful in the days to come. In our passage today, we see people getting older and they don't have the resources they once had. They're weak. As you get older, you're at peace with that. You believe that God is going to meet you in the future while you have less resources with his ample resources. And so that's what we mean when we say hearts ready for Christmas. That we are tending to what we think when no one else is looking, when we're all alone, the truest sense of who we really are, we believe God because Jesus lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what this passage is really all about. The first question we're going to jump on this morning as we look at the, the passage is, do you have eyes to see this morning that God's timing is perfect? God's timing is perfect. Perfect. Can you see that? It's easy to miss. If we look at verse 5, the days of King Herod, and first of all, we can stop right there and say, God, your timing's not perfect. The king who rules in the land over your people is an evil dictator who literally puts babies to death because he's, he's challenged by them and afraid. He's a horrible person. How in the world can we face this Advent season? How in the world can we face life when we've got such an evil person on the throne? The timing seems all wrong. There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, here's something that God wants you and me to know. And by the way, Luke, we're studying the book of Acts, and we'll go back to that study the first of the year. So if you're joining us and you're like, we're obviously not always in the book of Luke. But we'll be in the book of Luke throughout this month. The book of Luke, written by Luke, of course, he is a guy who really took time to answer the questions uh, of the day so that he could prove to his friend Theophilus and all of us that, that what was happening in that moment was from the Lord. Look at Luke 1.1. 1, 1. He, he has undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. And the, the wording there, the accomplished among us, is a direct statement that says, what's happened in these recent days? 
direct fulfillment of prophecy. I want you to know, Theophilus, that, that this miracle birth we're going to talk about here in just a few moments, not only Jesus, but John the Baptist too, that is a direct fulfillment of prophecy. And we're going to look at the prophecies that are fulfilled here. But look down at verse 4. And he's writing that these prophet, prophecies have been fulfilled so that you and I will have certainty concerning these things. That's the hope of this Advent season. That you and I will have certainty that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus has come. He is indeed the fulfillment of these prophecies. So as we turn back to our text today, these things have been accomplished, and Luke wants us to know with certainty that Christ has come, and John the Baptist is a part of that whole story. We continue down. They were both righteous before God. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. You know, um, that's a miracle. It's the second miracle of this passage, I call it. The first miracle is going to be this miraculous birth we see. The second miracle is this. In a time frame when almost everyone had forgotten God and there is an evil dictator on the throne, that there are at least two people in the land who are righteous and walk blamelessly. The word righteous, we know that. If we look at Habakkuk, Uh, Chapter 4, we we see a definition of that. The righteous will live by faith. Zechariah and Elizabeth lived by faith. And they, they walked in right relationship with God because they believed him fully. They believed him fully. Do you? You are redeemed. You have a relationship with God by the working of his son, and you believe who he says he is, uh, justified, we might call it. They were righteous and they were blameless. So not only had they entered into the right relationship by faith, but they were walking in the dictates and in the uh, precepts of the Lord. That their manner of living lined up with what God would have them to do. And that would we would call that sanctification. So we're going to see that this couple... In the midst of a generation of people who are forgetting the Lord, they continue to serve the Lord. And I'm going to say it this way before we go on. Their lives may have felt to them really, really small. Does it even matter that uh, a thousand of us uh, from this church and and other Christian churches in the world go out into the the streets of Sheboygan and live I try to live out righteous and blameless lives. If you're like me, you can start to think it just doesn't, it's not making a difference. What difference is it making out there? Who is seeing that Jesus is King? And what happens then generationally is that we don't see how important and how strong. Uh, the impact is of our lives in the the next generation, we can begin to think, well, I don't know. What's what's the big deal about all of this? And we start taking God less seriously and less seriously and less seriously and put ourselves in a position where pretty soon we think our lives are so small that even God doesn't care about them. And we begin to think, I'm just going to live how I want. I'll embrace the whole idea. Maybe I call myself a Christian or whatever. 
you can call me a Christian if you want. Call me a Christian, but my life is so small and insignificant. It just doesn't really all matter all that much what I do. And you or I, verse 7, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And we could think, oh, man. You know, I've been trying to be righteous. I've been trying to be blameless. My life is at the point where I don't have resources. I'm not going to make a big difference anymore. Do the circumstances of your life lead you to believe that God has forgotten you? God has not forgotten you. The, the name, Zechariah, means God has not forgotten. God has remembered. And we're going to see that in the story. God has remembered. Have the situation of your life tempted you to think, God's not reliable. I can't trust him to act upon what he said he's going to do. I pray to him, I ask him, I wait for him. He just doesn't act. He doesn't keep his promises. And I just encourage you, the name Elizabeth means God is an oath. We might say it like this. God is absolutely reliable. He will never let us down. Have you begun to think that your quiet and small life is not making a difference? There is no greater impact that you can have on this world. There is no way to impact this world more than believing God and waiting for him to keep his promises. You can't make a bigger difference in your work environment than being someone who believes God and waits for him to keep his promises. You can't be a better friend to somebody, making a bigger impact in their life by saying, no, I seriously, when no one's looking and the lights go off, I believe God. I trust him. He's going to do this. Maybe you feel like it's too late for you, and that's the gist of verse 7. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. And it seems to me that Zechariah and Elizabeth just went, you know what? We're too old, but we are going to live out our, our life and be faithful to God regardless. And so maybe you don't have those eyes this season. Maybe you can't see. And what do you do if you're like, okay, yeah, I need eyes to see that God's timing is perfect, but I don't see it on my own right now. I've been waiting a long time. The gist of this Advent season is waiting. We had uh, uh, the promise from God uh, many years earlier in the book of Malachi that he was going to, to be faithful to, to send Messiah, and now it's been 400 years and there's been no word from God. People are forgetting who he is, and there are very few people who are righteous and blameless making a difference at the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth. So how do I get these eyes if I don't have them? How do I see that God is faithful if, I don't, uh, if I'm struggling with that verse right now? Look at verse 8. We can learn from Zechariah. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so we can learn three, we can learn two specific things from what Zechariah did while he was disappointed and while he felt his life was so small. He kept on serving. Guys, keep on serving 
the Lord. Keep doing the faithful thing. Keep trusting Him. It will put you in a position where you will hear afresh from the Lord again, and He will remind you of who He is. You see, secondly, in that passage, that He uh, prayed. He was a prayer. This Christmas season, I, I encourage you to pour out your heart to the Lord. When we say pray, we aren't saying um, while you're driving, think positive thoughts. We aren't sending positive vibes some direction. That's not prayer. Prayer is all the screens are off, all the distractions are away, I'm on my knees, I'm face down before the Lord, I'm speaking out loud to Him, and I believe that only He can do what I'm asking Him to do. Prayer is a crying out to the Lord. If we look at uh, what is about to be say, said to him, um, the, the angel comes to him and says, uh, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. And we're going to look at that a little closer late, later, but basically uh, I want to remind you that when God hears our prayer, that the concept of hearing the prayer there. God is listening with a, with a heart to act in accordance with our prayers. So God is laying on our heart something that he uh, is about to do. And so as we pray and we go to him and we cry out, it's really crucial that we listen to what the Lord's laying on our hearts and we, we pray in accordance with that. So here... How do I get these eyes? We continue to serve, we continue to pray, and we continue to walk with the Lord. And we see then in verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now this angel, just again, can't underscore this enough. It's been 400 years. There's been no sense there's been no God sighting for 400 years. If you do the math, 400 years ago from now, almost to the day, would be the landing of the pilgrims at Plymouth Rock. That, that's a long time ago. We haven't really thought much today about how what the pilgrims did all those 400 years ago uh, impacts our life here today. And maybe this week we have. But for the most part, we haven't given it much thought. And I want you to think about that time frame. That's longer than the United States has been a country. Okay, so it's been a long, long time since anyone in Israel had heard anything from God. And the appearance of the angel Gabriel marks a new era. Luke wants us to know that. Luke wants us to know with certainty that this angel appearance was at just the right time. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And so uh, maybe you're struggling with timing. And maybe you see yourself and say, okay, my resources are gone. God is too late. Here, here's a, uh, may, maybe it is that you are currently waiting on God to do something for you. And you have been crying out to him. And this passage does not guarantee that you're going to have a baby. 
It doesn't guarantee that the, the hope or the fruit of what, what's on your heart is going to be. That's not at all it. Because the reality is there are many, many childless people that prayed for a baby that didn't have their prayers answered. The point of this passage is not to tell you that eventually God hears every prayer and, and rewards them. The point of this passage is to say, this Christmas season, you and I need to train our hearts to look to God because he is always faithful to keep his promises. He will always keep his promises, and he'll keep his promises to you. So what are you waiting for? Deep in your hearts, where God who remembers, God remembers. For visible proof in your life that God cares about you. For assurance that your life is significant. Are you waiting for something to happen and soon from the hand of the Lord? My friend, as we just talked about, there's, just, there's no bigger impact you can have on this world than believing that God is faithful. Trust his timing. No matter how late it seems for me personally, no matter uh, how late it seems for us as a people, we believe together that God remembers and that God's timing is better than my timing, right? Before we move on from this idea of, of seeing that God's timing is perfect, I just really want to encourage you that, that another angel came a few years later and made another promise. This Jesus whom you have seen go to heaven will definitely come again in the same way that you saw him go. And my encouragement here, this, this season of waiting, is that even as we just heard the song and we talked about even so come Lord Jesus, that there is a promise given to us that the work of God in this world is not done. Every eye will see and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he will return with power and God will be glorified. And as we wait, we're waiting for the Lord to come. And what's God called you to do? Same thing Elizabeth was called to do. Same thing that Zechariah was called to do. Be faithful. Be righteous and blameless. When you feel your life is so small and there's no way God could possibly make a difference with you, trust the Lord's timing. Trust his timing. Well, do we have ears, ears to hear that God's providence is for our joy? And we continue on in the story. The angel said to him, do not be afraid. Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness. Let's go back up to 13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. God listens with the intention of doing something about it. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, a couple things we ask here. Why in the world do you think uh, good old Luke would start this, this prophetic uh, proof that God keeps his promises? Why start with John the Baptist? seems like we should start with Jesus. But instead, he takes a, a step back, and he, he starts with John the Baptist. Well, that's where the story picks up. This angel appears. It's the, the first prophecy we've heard in 400 years. 
But it's almost as if Luke, if you can look, if you read Malachi, and I encourage you this Christmas season to read Malachi, because Luke picks up on theme after theme after theme from Malachi. It's almost like, so Malachi was the last book written of the Old Testament, and it's been 400 years since anything else has been written. And it's almost like Luke um, said, okay, it's been 400 years, now let's go right back to Malachi and pick up all the themes that Malachi was talking about and show you that God hasn't forgotten any of them. In Malachi, the people were far from him. In Malachi, the people were hearing harsh judgment. In, in the book of Malachi, they were, they were encouraged and told, you know what, God's love never changes, and he's going to come through for you. And then, 400 years, radio silence. As Luke picks up the pen, he says, okay, let's look at what Malachi was talking about four year, 400 years ago. One of the things Malachi was talking about is in Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. Uh, the, he's talking about John the Baptist, someone who would prepare the way for the Savior. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places uh, a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be uh, revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, guys, all, all of that is saying uh, that John the Baptist, the forerunner, will come first to prepare a way. In the ancient Orient uh, culture, uh, what would happen is if uh, the king was going to come to some small towns, they would send a runner ahead. And uh, the runner who would come, a- come ahead would say, guys, get ready, the king is coming. And literally what they would do is say, oh, man, much like Sheboygan, our roads stink right now. And so there's places where they're low, and there's places where they're high, and they're not reliable. And how can the king possibly come and visit this town when our roads look like this? So let's get the pothole crew together, and let's go fill in the potholes so that when the king comes, his caravan doesn't get shaken right off the road, and he says, what's up with this town? Let's, uh, they should be embarrassed about the way they've, been, they've uh, welcomed me. And that's who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist is the pothole filler. He is the orange barrel police. And he's putting out the orange barrels, and he's saying we're in a construction zone here, and he's going out in front, and the lights are flashing, and he's saying, get the road ready. And much like you and me, we've talked about in the very first part of this message today, he's not talking at all about potholes. He's talking 100% about the nature of your heart. So here's the question. As John the Baptist prepares the way, he is saying, repent. He is saying, turn back to the Lord. He is saying, take the promises of the Old Testament seriously. Study them and understand them and believe them and base your life upon them. Take the Lord seriously. Where's that not happening in your life today? That's the question of Christmas. I'm ready for Advent 
when my heart turns toward the Lord and I am aware of the potholes of unforgiveness, and I am aware of the bitterness of my soul to him, and I am aware of the places where I have told him, Lord, my life seems too small to matter. And I am aware of the places where I've said to him, Lord, you're too late. And I repent. And I turn back. And I say, the Lord has not forgotten. And he is sufficient. And he sees me. And I realize that there is no way that I can impact this world more than by being aware of my own heart and turning it back to the Lord. So that's the ministry of John the Baptist. He will turn. Look at verse 16. Well, let's look at verse 15. For he will be great before the Lord, and he will not drink much wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks. Babies are alive. They're people. And John the Baptist is indwelled by the Holy Spirit when he's a baby in his mom's belly. That is amazing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. The ministry of John the Baptist, we can look at Malachi, and we can see how he's uh, connected with the ministry of Elijah. Elijah was a funky dude, too. You know, John the Baptist, he winds up you know, wearing funny clothes and eating weird food and living out in the wilderness and confronting powerful people. That's all what Elijah did. And so that's, that's all that means. He comes like Elijah came in that same regard. Luke is saying, friends, this miraculous birth and the life that we see is surely the fulfillment of those prophecies. And this has been accomplished among us. And here we have, and we come to the place where Zechariah just can't get his brain wrapped around it. The role of John the Baptist is going to be to prepare a people for the Lord. By the way, uh, really important that you see the words of John the Baptist. Do you remember uh, John's words about Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God. You can finish those, that phrase. Who takes away the sins of the world. And this ministry of John the Baptist is to fill in the potholes of my heart. To make the way straight. So that, uh, and, and in Israel, he is saying to them, my friends, he has not come for us only, for Israel only, but he has come to take away the sins of the world. Behold that Lamb of God. We have joy and gladness because of it, and he is here to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, men in the, in the room, I want you to make note that when he said, my wife is advanced in years, those are the last words he'll speak for about a year. I think there is something to be learned from that. That's not what you want to say to the angel. If an angel appears to you sometime this afternoon and he stands in power and he makes a statement to you and he 
brings his encouragement from the word of God, don't doubt him. Right? He stands with power. Now, conversely, we should say, because we're warned later in the New Testament, if an angel stands before you and says anything that does not line up with God's word, don't listen to him. Even an angel is wrong if they transgress or disagree with what God's word says. But if he says something that lines up with God's word, I suggest you listen to him. And now, you could say to me, and, and I struggled with this, because I was like, well, Zechariah, you know, how long shall I, how shall I know this? And later, Mary says, how can this be? And Mary is rewarded, and Zechariah is uh, kind of judged here. So that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Why is that? But the idea is, Mary is saying, uh, I don't understand this. Zechariah is saying, I need some proof. I need more information. My friends, can I just really encourage you, if you're a dad, if you're a mom, if you're a grandparent, if you're a brother, if you're a sister, can I just really encourage you, this Christmas season, it is not your job to provide more evidence of the veracity and truthfulness and power and grace and strength of God Almighty revealed in Jesus Christ. That's not your job. Your job is to believe it. Your job is to be justified. And your job is to walk blamelessly. God's not going to give more proof. God's going to draw a heart. God's going to bring that person to faith in accordance with your prayers. God's going to act strongly. And that's not to say we shouldn't enter into conversations with the people around us about who God is. But that is to say, you're coming up with answers to every doubting question that people in your life have is not necessarily your role this Christmas season. Your role is to believe Christ wholeheartedly and with gladness and with joy and with no sense of, of swerving away from it and allow God to do what he's going to do in the life of your family, in the life of your friend. So the question, are you ready? Are you ready for Christmas? Zechariah said, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And, and you notice what Zechariah says? Zechariah looks to him and his own resources. I am. I'm old. You see what Gabriel says? I love what Gabriel says in verse 19. Oh, you say, I am Zechariah, or I am old. I say, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent on a mission from God to bring you this good news. That phrase, good news, is a, is a very typical phrase in, in the culture where, again, the concept would be someone coming to a town and saying, there's a new king on the throne. There's a new king on the throne. Get ready, village. You should know that the old king is dead and the new king is reigning. And that's the essence of the message. Oh, I've been sent to bring you this good news. There's a new king reigning this Christmas season. He is real and he is strong. He has sent a forerunner before him to prepare your hearts. And you'll know you're ready for Christmas when without a doubt in your heart you are holding to understanding and living and rejoicing in your heart this concept of, of joy we have joy in our heart because the new king is on the throne. Even if the timing seems bad, even if your life seems small, even if your prayers aren't answered in your timing, you are rejoicing because there's a new king on the throne. 
Verse 20, behold, you will be silent. It's ironic and appropriate that Zechariah sinned with his lips and was uh, uh, judged with his lips. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. By the way, the, uh, when he was on duty, the idea of him being a priest on duty, he had to serve two weeks at Jerusalem. He served the other weeks at his own hometown in the hill country. But for two weeks, he got to go to Jerusalem to the big dance. And so there he was, serving at the big dance for his two weeks. And uh, most priests would serve their whole life, and their number would never come up for them to get to offer the incense at the hour of prayer. They would never get that privilege. So it was, a, it was like a winning the lottery kind of like miracle for him to be the guy who went into the place to burn the incense. And then one of the joys of that situation was when, okay, you wait your whole life, you win the lottery, you get your opportunity, and then you come out after, after doing your time of incense and you announce to the people a blessing from the Lord that their prayers have been answered. Zechariah misses out on his opportunity to announce the blessing because he doesn't believe. He won the lottery and missed out on the payday. Ah, it's rough, man. That's a hard situation, but he cannot speak. And so he plays the first recorded game of charades and tries to communicate with the people what took place there. He was unable to speak. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs uh, to them, but he remained mute. And when the time of his services ended, he went home. He went his way home. Verse 24. And this is our last point we want to make here this morning. Do we have a voice to praise God for his grace? The word John means God is gracious. God told Zechariah and Elizabeth what to name the baby. Name him this. After 400 years of silence, everything has been quiet. The one who is the forerunner, the one who's going from town to town, the one who's going to prepare a people for the Lord, his name will be God is gracious. And so good old Zechariah, the Jehovah has remembered. And so Elizabeth, the Lord is always reliable. Name your son John, even though it's not a family name. Because God is gracious to keep his every promise. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me. Those words are First of all, that she hid herself. She had great joy to share, but she wasn't ready to share it yet. What are you going to say? Mary does the same thing, and Mary hides these things. She ponders them in her heart. I'm a verbal person. My first response is words. Maybe Zechariah is too, and that's why he wasn't going to be able to talk for a year. It's a good thing to be quiet sometimes. Elizabeth chose to be quiet. For five months, she kept herself hidden. And do you see what she says there? 
my life is not characterized by year after year after year of God not keeping his promise. My life isn't characterized by God forgetting me. My life isn't characterized by unanswered prayer. She's thinking these things through in her heart, and she said, you know what my life is hidden by? Or my life is characterized by? In the days when he looked on me, he took away my reproach. He worked on my behalf. And so we have two key things in this passage. Number one, he heard the prayer, and he got himself ready to answer. And number two, he sees them. Can I apply that to you? He hears your prayer. And he's listening with an ear to act on your behalf. And he sees you. He sees your life. He sees your frailty. He sees how you feel like he's late. He sees how you feel like your life is small and insignificant and not accomplishing what you thought it should. He sees all those things. And he's reminding you this Christmas season, if your heart's right before him to hear it, He wants you to stop. He wants you to trust his promises fully. He wants you to believe that there is no way that you can impact this world more than by believing his promises and waiting for him. May your neighbors become acquainted with your small life this Christmas season, a life that contains some disgrace, some disappointment, yet is characterized by justification, righteousness. Sanctification, blamelessness. And contentment in prayer. And may our eyes this Christmas season be glued to God's word and our eyes fixed on what he has promised to do next. This same Jesus, who has come to take away the sins of the world, will come again. He will set all things aright. And so, no, I cannot promise you that your reproach or disgrace is about to be taken away. I can't. I don't know. I can tell you this. God's at work in the affairs of mankind with strength. He's at work in the, Amer- in the affairs of humanity right this second, this Christmas season. I can tell you that God has not forgotten even one of his promises. I can tell you that God is faithful and that God is at work. And I can tell you that he loves you, and he loves your small little life. And I can tell you that there is no greater Christmas privilege than being faithful while we wait for God to act. And I can tell you that if your heart hears these things and seeks to live these things, well, you're on your way for being prepared for Christmas. Let's stand and be dismissed. Lord, we feel small sometimes. Help us with that. And we pray this Christmas season we would focus on our hearts before you. Believing that you are good. Believing that you are strong. Believing that you are faithful. Dismiss us with your blessing. and Help us go now into this world with strength. Take our little lives and multiply them for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.